0: A different kind of 4th of July. The normal boom of fireworks in our public squares has primarily quieted a consequence of COVID and given way to the snap, crackle, and pop of firecrackers all around the city streets of our country. I think most of them happened right around the corner from my house. All of it in celebration of the signing of the Declaration of Independence in 1776, which basically begins like this. My daughter Tabitha is going to offer us those words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the vision that founded a country, that we're invited to nurture and encourage and flourish and cultivate and bring to bear on our lives life, liberty, independence, freedom. That's why 4th of July, that's why fireworks and bonfires and family gatherings, life, liberty, freedom. I've been reading a book titled Letters to a Birmingham Jail. In it is a letter written by a pastor in California named Albert Tate. He invites us to expand our view of freedom, not just to a country's commitment, but a kingdom conviction. My friend Adriana Wagenveld will read for us a few of his words. It is not enough to fight, however passionately, for an arbitrary and cultural idea of freedom today if that fight is not in pursuit of God's kingdom coming to earth. As Christians, we are emboldened by the men and women who fought bravely towards the fulfillment of the reconciliatory quest of the gospel, toward the ultimate goal of perpetuating the legacy of Jesus Christ. Himself, the ultimate hero of reconciliation. Tate wants to expand our view from freedom as a country's commitment, but rather a kingdom's conviction. Let's open our heart now to the kingdom. Let's open our heart to God's heart, which creates, expands, and establishes the kingdom as it comes to us through the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. It's a letter the Apostle Paul wrote from jail to a small band of upstart Christian believers who are probably meeting in dining rooms like, well, maybe not quite like yours, but dining rooms all the same, or maybe on front lawns. My beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, that you may be innocent and blameless children of God without blemish in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. Hold fast to the word of life that I may boast in the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being offered as a libation over the sacrifice and offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. And you also must be glad and rejoice with me. I hope to send Timothy, to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. All the others seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. You know Timothy's worth. How like a son with a father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. Therefore, I am eager to send him to you as soon as I learn what will happen to me, even as I also hope to come to you soon, still, I think it's necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and coworker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. How he has longed for all of you and been distressed because you heard that he was gravely ill. Indeed, he was so ill that he almost died. But God had mercy on him and not, also, not only on him, but on me also so that I would not have to suffer one sorrow after another. Therefore, I am eager to send him to you so that you may rejoice in his presence and I may not be so anxious. Welcome him then in the Lord with joy and honor such people. For he nearly died in the work of the Lord risking his life in giving the service you could not provide. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Philippians 2, 12 through 30. Uh, we're going to zoom in in just a minute on one verse, uh, verse 12. But for now, let's zoom out to the whole of the book of Philippians. We've been treading our way through it so far this summer. It's like a greatest hits album. It's got some of the great lines. Uh, it begins He who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. And then, for to me, is living as Christ and dying is gain and then only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel and maybe the best line of all let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus and then now let's zoom back in verse 12 work out your own salvation with fear and trembling I should say fear and trembling work out your own salvation that 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 makes me uncomfortable Work out your own salvation. That's daunting. If, if salvation is up to my work, I'll be like a firework without a wick, a bonfire without a starter, a, a family gathering without potato salad. Work out your own salvation. What about, uh, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing? Uh, What happened to today you'll be with me in paradise? I like, come to me and I'll give you rest. What's up with work out your own salvation? Paul has in mind that we'll work it out, that we'll live it out, that we'll bring salvation to bear on the daily realities of our lives and the circumstances and situations that surround us. Work out your salvation. He brings together work and salvation so often pitted against each other Work in one corner uh, sort of lends itself to a works righteousness sort of theology and, and salvation too often reduced to a cheap grace in the other corner duking it out on some stage. Paul shoves them together. Work, salvation, salvation, work. Those are the two words I want to spin around for just a few minutes and then we'll come to the table together. Work. Work out Your salvation. He has in mind the gift that has been given to you, salvation, will flourish in you and overflow in the world. It will bear fruit. Uh, Was it Jesus who said, A good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit? Work out your salvation. Or in another place, he said, Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, in other words, work out your salvation. Paul has in mind the salvation that has been given to us gets itself played out in our lives in the world. He has in mind us pursuing reconciliation in a world addicted to division. He has in mind us being a people of peace in a polarized world. He has in mind that we would be a people of grace in a virtue signaling sort of world. He has in mind that we'd be a people of Christian habit and practice in a free-for-all world. In other words, work out your salvation. Work out the thing that's already been given to you. And then, fortunately, goes on to offer some helps. First, you're not alone. Work out your salvation, you're not alone. He, he can hardly keep his breath before he adds, for it is God who is at work in you. The one who's inviting to you, inviting you to work is already at work in you. The God who made the world is at work in you. The God who healed diseases and fed 5,000 and raised the dead is at work in you. The God who stretched out his arms on the cross breathing his last saying father forgive them is at work in you so work out your salvation you look at you i'm guessing a few of you at least and all you see is a pile of shame too steep to climb you see a hole of guilt too deep to get out of god is at work in you the god who said let there be light and there was light is at work in you dispelling every version of darkness that exists in you The God who said, My grace is sufficient for you, embraces your guilt and shame with grace. The God who promises, Behold, I'm making all things new, is at work in you, making a new thing now. The old is gone, behold, the new has come. God is at work in you. So work out your salvation. Here's the second thing you're not alone, so don't do it alone. And now I'm not just talking about the Spirit of God at work in you. I'm talking the Christian community around you. Paul goes to great lengths to talk about Timothy. I hope to send Timothy to you soon. There's no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then I I think it's probably necessary for me to send Epaphroditus. He's longed for all of you. And I also hope to come to you soon. But not just Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul himself, but the Christian community that exists there already. Anytime you read in the Bible, you... Think plural. Don't think me. Think us. Your salvation is not an individualized expression, but rather a corporate invitation. All of you, all y'all, work out your salvation, which means this sort of over-against kind of Christianity that exists too broadly, at least on the American scene, must stop. This sort of uh, spiritual superiorizing yourself over another Christian has to go. We can't do it alone. We can't do it over against. We need each other. So join a city group. Find a Bible study. Be a part of a prayer group. Go for a walk with one you know and love, who you can trust to speak into your life. Work out your salvation. You're not alone, so don't do it alone. And third, don't just do it with the y'all you know. Paul then goes on. He starts listing these these behaviors, unbecoming to Christian believers. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, all of which then culminate in hold fast to the word of life. Work out your salvation, but not just with the y'all you know. Invite another voice, a deeper tradition, the word of life itself. I'm just going to offer a pastoral concern. This is recorded, so maybe I'll cut it and edit it out later. Too often, too many people in the social media era posture themselves as speaking as the authoritative voice for the Christian tradition and have not immersed themselves in the story, whether by word or worship or in Christian community. Work out your salvation, but not just the y'all you know. Listen to a deeper voice, a better voice that has stood the test of time if we only rely on our own instincts and impulses and the people we know, we'll end up riding around on training wheels in circles in a cul-de-sac of our own wishes, desires, and proclivities. Hold fast to the word of life. Uh, during uh, the earlier seasons of COVID, during Eastertide, uh, we preached a series of sermons. We called it Resurrection and Crisis, Listening to Jesus. And I invited you to memorize a sentence, a section, a verse of the sermon on the mount. And we and then record yourself reciting it and sending it to us, we received at least 73 different people recording themselves reciting sections of the sermon on the mount. We compiled all of them, handed them to Jake who stitched them all together in a beautiful way so that the Pillar community offered the entirety of the sermon on the mount to itself. We sent it out as a devotion on Thursday. We'll put it on social media this week. All of it an invitation, not just to a one-time experience, but a way of life. Hold fast to the words of life, to the word of life. Work out your salvation. You're not alone. The Spirit's at work in you, so don't do it alone. You need Christian community, but not just the y'all you know. Hold fast to the word of life. Work out your salvation. Paul says work, salvation, salvation, work, salvation, salvation. It's this, it's this stunning gift offered by and accomplished by God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God who made the world, whose heart was broke by the fall of the world, loved the world, so sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to God's law. He suffered. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He rose from the dead to overcome sin and death. He ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns until he comes again to make it all new and to make it all right, salvation. And it's yours. Work out your salvation. It's already yours. When you announce with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from, your, from the dead, salvation, salvation, it's yours. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to achieve it. It's not the award ceremony at the end of the school year. It's not an insurance policy for some sort of afterlife, though it includes an afterlife. It shows up now, here, today, with you. It's yours. It's already given. It's already achieved. It's already accomplished. It's already offered. You've got the Apple ID. You've got the login and password. You've got the facial recognition. Whatever other metaphor you need to experience the promise. Salvation. Salvation. It's a gift. It's given. It's yours. So work it out. Live it out. Bring it to bear. I've been... Uh, reading this book titled Letters to a Birmingham Jail. I think I've mentioned it once or twice. It's a compilation of letters written by people in memory uh, and in honor of Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. Uh, In it is a letter written by the pastor I mentioned earlier that Adriana read for us, Albert Tate, out in California somewhere. He begins his chapter by reflecting on his experience as a young black boy in Mississippi. He remembers the stories his parents would tell him, including the story of the Woolworth sit-in. February 1961, four black men from a local college went to a five-and-dime store, Woolworth, to sit at the bar for lunch. Only whites were allowed at the bar. They sat on the stools. Just down from them was an elderly white woman. One of them, the last name McLean, could feel her eyes staring him down. The eyes of suspicion and judgment. She finished her donut. She finished her coffee. She got up. She walked over to them. She put her hands on their shoulders and she said, I'm so proud of you boys. Tate, in his letter, goes on to reflect I grew up a young black boy in the rural town of Pearl, Mississippi. Both of my parents were students at Tougaloo College and recall watching the Woolworth sit-ins in Jackson. I remember the names and stories of those daring enough to rebel in peaceful determination against the oppressive powers that be. Images of strange fruit hanging from poplar trees and dogs biting at the feet of those who look like me still torment my sense of righteousness and justice. I'm haunted by the brutality and hatred of the aggressors. But at the same time, I'm inspired by the courage and the faithfulness of my brothers and sisters who fought in those moments. Their courage has shaped me in ways that I could not even begin to imagine. It has shaped how I see life. It shaped my culture. It shaped me. There's a voice inside of me, very natural and human, that continually reminds me, someone has died, and that ought to change the way I live someone has died. And that ought to change the way I live. Tate invites us to expand our view, not only of those who pursued racial justice, but the one who reconciles all things to himself. There's one who's died. He also happened to be raised from the dead. And that ought to change the way I live. Work out your salvation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.